Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review. Or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Project Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I got another great one uh, today, uh, Vanessa Guzman. She's the CEO of SmartRise Health. Got her here today. Vanessa, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's an honor, uh, Corey. And and I, I look forward to engaging and interacting with the audience. So thanks again for having me. Yes, no problem. So, you know, before you know, we get into the conversation, can you tell the people a little bit about yourself and what gets you up in the morning? Mm, well, a lot of things get up, uh, get me up in the morning, especially my family, who I love, my daughter, Ella, and my my spouse, uh, Mark, and my two doggies um, uh, are, are really my priorities. But um, I, I'm Vanessa Guzman, like, like you said, Corey, and I, I am the CEO of two organizations, Smart Rise Health as well as AJS Health, which is a woman uh, health-focused organization. And what gets me up in the morning is my purpose. Um, I use work. I use my relationships. I use my persona to really carry what my purpose is for a given day, which is for me is to inspire and empower people to be the best versions of themselves. And I live by that and I enjoy that. Oh, that's amazing. I love to hear that. You know, it's always fun asking that question because you never know what you're going to get. But (laughs) (laughs) I really enjoy that. You know, Vanessa, you know, I am, um, my, my whole platform is about health equity. So that's, um, those are the conversations I enjoy having. And, um, as you know, you know, when you say health equity, that can mean an abundance of things. It's not just one. Um, but I would love to talk a little bit about, you know, what sparked your interest in health equity and with uh, Smart Rise. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the, the genesis of that? Like, what was the uh, the beginning? Yeah, I think it was a combination of a few things. Um, first, my roots. I, uh, my parents are from the Dominican Republic. Uh, Spanish-speaking only, older, who I love dearly, but you can imagine some of the challenges that we encounter in making sure that they get the best health they can get. Um, I think that's that's a big part of why the why. The second why, I think, is my purpose, as I described earlier. I really feel that I have the agency to change myself and also help others realize what change looks like for them in their, in their own worlds. And then I third is the biggest why is my, my professional um, trajectory. I'm a biomedical engineer by training, but also coach. So I was able to kind of un- created this ensemble of different services that I think are so helpful for health systems and health plans and people and individuals like you and I, who are just trying to live our day to day and see ourselves like, how do we fit in? How do we make the change? And that's when Smart Rise came to fruition. After so many years of working at a large health system in the Bronx, I realized I can create a platform where it serves as a conduit for communities to really connect with healthcare in a much more meaningful way 
and for us to really seek value in the quality of care that that we all should get, right? Not just certain groups right. or certain populations, but everyone. Because I lived my I lived it myself. I had, you know, I lived off of Medicaid um until the age of twenty one. And I know the the things that now I was missing out on before because of coverage issues and and just the whole trajectory of getting care for my parents really taught me so much that I was in a good position of now then packaging that and delivering it to our customers. Yeah, that's great. Can you talk a little bit about how you package that for your customers? Like, you know, and the reason why I ask, you know, one of the earlier in my, you know, health equity, you know, learning and trying to, you know, figure out what this was, one of the the barriers or disparities that um, I would run into a lot or hear about were, um, people in um, low socioeconomic status um, couldn't understand certain technologies or they couldn't right. afford the certain technologies, mm-hmm. especially around we're talking about telehealth or right. any of those technology services. Mm-hmm. Um, what has been your experience with that? Has that been something that it, that rings true for, for you or what does that look like for, for the packages or the platforms that you have? Absolutely. And and digital health, you touched on a really good example, is a prime example of what went wrong even during COVID when, you know, we had 80% increase in adoption of telehealth literally overnight because that's that's the way we we could receive care and access care. Um, But what that did was because it was implemented with less of a health literacy mindset, right, in, Mm -hmm. in considering what that rollout would be or that design of that product would be is that we widened the disparity for groups that weren't yet there when it comes to digital understanding or even health literacy. Um, and we had a ton of connection issues of people trying to access that health in any meaningful way. And data has shown it, studies after studies have shown how different groups accessed care differently during coding, even after. Um, you know, you can even off topic, right? Like you go to a restaurant and you need like a QR code. By the way, not everyone has a cell phone at hand and not everyone is in the position of knowing what to do with this QR code. Digital health is no different than that. So, you know, it's, it's taking those considerations when we work with customers on what are you working on, what are the care redesign aspects that you're looking for? And then SmartRise comes in and almost in, 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 in simplified version, basically creates almost like a guardrails around, well, let's make sure that mm-hmm. There's balance measures to make sure that no population is left behind, that we're identifying measures to make sure that we are assessing engagement rates over time so that, again, no population is left behind. And more importantly, how are how is the program, whether it's digital or any other program, how is it having an impact on the quality of health related to the population that they're looking to impact, whether it's maternity health or, you know, a vaccines for, pedi- uh, for a pediatric population or, you know, improving medication adherence for, right, for older individuals. Like those are all common programs. So the way that we package it is by introducing specific checklists and almost standards of care to make sure that we are all lifting all populations across the spectrum to access better care. Right. So what I hear you saying, and definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like with the big digital health boom, mm-hmm. they weren't thinking about nobody. <laughs> no, they were thinking about, okay, we need to make sure we see patients and we get paid. That was right. the priority. 
right? A very there wasn't an equity lens mindset. for that. Absolutely. And we weren't ready for that. Over time, of course, you know, in working with many organizations, we have seen improvement over time. There's better IT support. There's better patient education and caregiver education as well to make sure that instructions are clear to both patients and the team seeing the patient. But yet more importantly, that the patient still has access to the caregivers behind the screen. Like that's still very important. And not all aspects of care, by the way, can be handled over a Zoom. Right. And that's really important to understand what are the appropriate standards of care or conditions that are appropriate to be seen on a screen versus in person. So those are some of the things that we continue to work on now. Um, Of course, we have still a digital divide and we have unfortunately widened the disparity across different groups. So now it's like, how do we engage those groups that were left behind and say, no, build trust to make make sure that they... (laughs) That they're trusting the technology and and embracing how their information is being shared. Those are all so important. That's as important as getting the care itself. No, absolutely. You know, and going going back, I want to touch on that trust piece that you were just talking about. Yeah. Because, you know, that that's one thing that just for people of color or, you know, that are in this country, yeah. trust is a big issue, especially with your healthcare experience. Huge. And now when you add, you know, a digital piece to that, it feels like people automatically distrust it because, you know, it's, they don't know what it is or it's not explained well. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about, you know, the effect of somebody's healthcare experience and how, you know, how digital health, can digital healthcare, um, how can they get that trust back when trust was our trust was never there to it begin was with. never there to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And you know, I give it to everyone. There's a lack of trust for very, very good reasons, right? From studies um and research and misdiagnoses, um, and people of color being used or tokenized, right, for specific aspects of care for a specific outcomes. So I just want to acknowledge that there's a reason for that. And now we need to make sure that trust is instilled or integrated into how we deliver care. Um, but to answer your question, um, the way we build trust is through the provider-patient relationships. If we're talking straight, you know, um, uh, it, care delivery, right? There's other ways. Right. But if we're talking from a doctor perspective, is really a relationship. You know, two people can tell you exactly the same exact thing, but depending on the relationship that you have with that person, you could perceive it as welcoming and as, yes, I'm going to take action or no, what is that person talking about? Depending on who just said that same thing, right? So providers are not excluded from that. Of course, to give uh, to merit providers, they only have about seven to 15 minutes to do their, their thing. So how people ask me all the time, well, how do you build that in? It's everyone's job. It's not just the doctor's job. It's the office. It's the ambiance. Is making sure that we're using proper pronouns. Is 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 about understanding, like taking the time out of the entire throughput, not just the doctor visit, but the minute that the patient calls to schedule an appointment, to what you do with them after the visit. That all counts as part of that encounter. As part of that yeah. relationship, right? So it's building like a long term marriage with your doctor. And that's how you build. It's the same type of factors, communication, um, good, good, good instructions, um, shared decision making. Those are all important factors, just like in a marriage or any other relationship 
that really carry over into healthcare. That's that's the primary. The secondary, which is as important in my my eyes, is building trust through already trusted members. And that is the community. Mm. The community, we have members who are well-trusted. We're talking about your food pantry, right? Your your Medicaid offices. We're talking about your community centers, your daycare centers. Um, We're talking about anything, faith-based organizations, right? Where people already seek care or some sort of service and then working with or through them to carry out some of that clinical education and empowerment and and, and good information, not misinformation, that often gets lost in the nuances of social media and other forms of communication that we're bombarded with every day. So, so that's really how we build trust over time. Yeah, and all those things you mentioned, Vanessa, from um, you know the care teams. You know, I feel like I don't feel like a lot of clinics really utilize their care team well because a lot right. of patients they go in and say, "I'm seeing the doctor," but you may have a pharmacist, a case manager, a health coach, you know, so, there are so many that can utilize, take that 15 minute, you know, appointment to, you know, now you have a 20 minute appointment with your health coach that's helping you with your goals or with right. your pharmacist or with, you know, the unit clerks or whatever the case may be. Right. And then, then you take those community-based organizations and all of that improves that patient, in my opinion, that patient engagement, that patient experience. Absolutely. You know, because like you need that patient, the patient needs to be engaged in their care in order to get well or to improve what they need to improve. Right. And to have the agency to advocate for themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, because we often traditionally back in the day. Right. We often relied as, you know, with the provider as being the expert um, and relying in almost several of our groups. Right. Especially in communities of color, see doctors as figures of authority. And therefore, whatever they say, that's it. And you know what? It's that's that's how not how it works. Is shared decision making. You should have the ability to ask questions, to feel comfortable asking questions, for to getting and obtaining the care that you need and the information that you need to make appropriate decisions about your health, because your health only belongs to you. Um, and 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 really having a good understanding of what are the steps in my in managing my condition and being aware what those steps are. But also more importantly, that it speaks to your culture, right? You know, mm-hmm. one one thing, one line I'm sure you've heard a million times when you go to the doctor is like, okay, well, this is your BMI, right, for height and weight, uh, yep. right? And then they and then they throw this this one liner, you know, maintain a healthy diet and exercise. What does that mean? What, what does, does that, that mean to mean? me as a Dominican person? What does that mean to another person who who perhaps has access issues, right, to go to the gym? Or other, what does that mean to people who have kids who don't do not have time? Trust me, to go to the gym or other things, or to even cook at home. You know, people rely on takeout or other things. So, how do how how who and how um, do we take the time to understand those other lifestyle and cultural factors that influence how you would diet and exercise? And that's usually the missing link. So, when you have a nutritionist or a life coach on site, those generally are the people who help you walk through that journey, right? And then yeah. social workers for those who perhaps need additional um, additional help in navigating some of those services that are non-clinical. And those are as important as the clinical piece. Yes. So Vanessa, I am a clinical health coach. So I work at a federally go. qualified health center. <laughs> yes. so this, is, this is my wheelhouse, so, so to speak. And mm-hmm. whenever I get a patient in my office um, from whatever culture, right? 
as soon as their provider says, hey, I want you to see the health coach and they may have a goal of reducing their A1C, whatever the case may be, as soon as we start to talk about diet, it goes to, you're going to tell me I can't eat my foods. Right. And I'm not trying to, I think, I don't think for the longest time, culture was not really thought about, but people's culture, they so hold important. on to those. It's so important. so important. And even thinking of the, the uh, black culture, how we had to, right. you know, create our own culture. Now you're telling me the foods that my ancestors survived off of that I have a, it's not available, right? It's not available that now I hold true and powerful and I can't eat that. And it's like, well, right. I'm not saying that's not what I'm saying. And it's, so it's having the important thing is we can have that 40 minute conversation now when before they would just, their doctor would say, Hey, change your diet. And then right. they just keep it moving. Right. Right. And, and, and that means so much, so many different things for different people. Um, and, and it starts with the, the socioeconomic piece, right? And, and mm-hmm. that's what creates those disparities because generally select organic food is much more expensive than, than none. So what do you do then? Right. What are the yeah. alternatives? Do I cook recipes that, that are not connected to my culture at all? Sometimes I just don't have the cash to do that. Right. Um, and to right. toss it on the side. And those are all so important considerations. Um, and we have a lot of expertise in the community. And as a health coach, you you know that you you become almost like the patient's advocate because you want yeah. to see them succeed. But there there is no two people who, even though they may have the same biometrics, the same A1C, the the pathway to reducing their A1C is going to be totally different because their pathology, their person, their lifestyle, their environment. There's so many other factors that influences their ability to be successful, and that's that becomes your purpose is to advocate them and find that path for them. Absolutely. So I know we kind of talked about this before we went before we went live, but I didn't ask not <laughs> maybe one question from the questions I had. So <laughs> this is so much fun. Yes. Yeah. So I do want to ask one question in a different way. So yeah. you know, out of all the social drivers of health, um, yeah. you know, where you work with, play all that yeah. good stuff. You know, someone's socioeconomic status to me is is up there you know it was really really important um how do we address for with your from your experience and what you do with you know your profession how do we address um that social driver of health yeah i mean it it's it's complicated it's complicated but i'll divide it mm-hmm. by stakeholder type or by person type because we all have we all have power to change that right, right. um we just have different corners of the of the problem in front of us and behind us. So for health systems, um, we often recommend that they partner with community partners, all the examples that I mentioned earlier, food pantries, barbershops, right? Like yeah. uh, every, everything that the patients access on a social community level, parks and recreation, and then design some sort of referral process that enables that uh, the health system to identify these are your gaps, perhaps, or opportunities to access better care, right? right? Um, that are influenced by social factors. And then this is where to go to seek that help. And hopefully, you know, if the health system has some of the resources in place to close the loop, meaning that they're able to track whether or not the patient went, got the service, was helpful, and has addressed that opportunity, right? Not everyone has the ability, but we highly recommend that you do close that loop because otherwise you're just, right, um, throwing resources at a problem. But we, we don't really know whether or not we're empowering patients or helping them 
you know, address immediate issues. So that's one way for health systems, obviously, and, and care teams to become just more involved and aware of what some of those socioeconomic um, barriers could be, because that could influence how they engage the patient at the clinic or at the hospital, right? So mm-hmm. awareness is an important piece as well for caregivers. Um, for payers or health plans, um, you know, we still have a way to go with reimbursing for some of these socioeconomic or social determinants of health, as they're often called. Um, even the assessments, you know, uh, we've gotten better at documenting those assessments in, in, you know, care records, electronic health records. But we, we have not yet seen a huge improvement in um, provider compensation for taking the time for doing some of that work. So most right. of the clinics and hospitals that are doing this are really doing it because they know it's right. They have seen or, or, or started generating evidence that it will impact quality of the health. It will impact total cost of care, which is how we all survive, right, in the world of value-based care. Um, and then the third is the community. The community, you know, being able to continue to service the patients as members, respected of the community, um, really asking the hard questions on, like, what will it take to get there to the next step, Right. All those things are really important instruments and really leveraging the community as that source of building that trust that will take time, by the way. This is not going to happen overnight. I think our communities will will realize changes and dynamics and relationships over time as we continue generating evidence that that they see that they're being treated like everyone else, right? And that's Mm -hmm. going to be important. And as people, Corey, you know, it's important for us to ask questions. It doesn't matter where you're at, whether you feel that you don't know enough or you feel like, you know what, I don't have enough education or not for that, or I haven't even gone to school for that. Um, making sure that you're leveraging resources that often, oftentimes come from the health plan, right? There's like home care services. There are often health coaches that come yep. with, with that. Um, the health systems often provide, um, you know, different programs. The challenge with, with that is trust again, Corey. And um, a lot of people don't want people coming over to their homes, right, to do assessments and all that. Um, but making sure that that you receive the information, that you ask the appropriate questions so that you do create that comfort, because a lot of these services are out there. You just have to either accept them and access them um, or ask, because sometimes they are there. But unfortunately, you know, people like you and I don't necessarily hear about them. So that's important to receive. Know the tr- the source of where you're getting the information is so important because there's a lot of misinformation out there that will just honestly retract any form of improvement we've made over the years. So we all have, in in short, we all have a role. um, And I think the more we continue practicing the role that we have in addressing some of these social gaps, um, the more, uh, the the more improved results we're going to see over the next, you know, five to 10 years. No, that's great. That's great. Can we, I know you briefly touched on, you know, smart rise in the beginning, can we talk a little bit more about smart rise health? Um, Tell me about, you know, more about the platform, you know, what does it focus on and what kind of outcomes have you seen from it? Yeah, for sure. So Smart Rise Health is focused on um, re-engineering or redesigning care processes for different health systems, health plans, community-based organizations, uh, pharmaceutical companies. So essentially we become the, the platform that identifies this is the root of any disparity that you may mm-hmm. have. Or, or programmatic gap that's preventing you from achieving higher quality of care for different populations. This is how to fix it. And then we implement those fixes, right? So it's like re, recalibration, reengineering, redesign. Um, we also offer 
um, educational platforms so that we're, we're, you know, helping the fish to fish, right? Because mm-hmm. eventually mm-hmm. we want to make sure that we empower our customers so that they too can be part of that change. So we offer fellowship programs um, and learning collaboratives around health equity. So leaders know what that means and what does it mean to build a culture of equity? And we've been, we've gained so much successes from that. We've helped countless, actually over, over 25 organizations alone achieve a combination of either health equity uh, accreditation um, through some of the federal requirements. We've helped uh, a lot of organizations achieve uh, value-based care incentive programs to be specific over $500 million in savings over the last four years. That translates to money that they can then reinvest in some of the work that that we've been discussing here in, in this podcast. And then third, we help the philanthropic piece of it, right? So for me, when we mm. first founded on SmartRise, it was really important that we gave back to the community. So 10% of our revenue goes back into into uh, charities that we select oh, every awesome. year, which is awesome. And we have so much fun in making those selections. So we have three right now that we work with. One is Girls on the Run of New York City. We also work with Bari mm. Mission of New York City. And we also work with uh, FastFeed, which is a company that's completely oriented to helping um, a children with disability run right and be active oh, cool. you know, in their in their way so it's all very much connected to the work that we do but very much on the front end to make sure like we're here with a mission if you become our customer you are literally directly giving back to the community in form of funds and that that's what keeps us standing every day oh that's amazing yeah. and so it's it's almost like you are I'm, I'm going to create a, a corny analogy because I'm really good at that. But <laughs> it's almost like there was, there was this, in the healthcare industry, they were going through with, with not clear vision and you're giving them contacts. We're giving them contacts and we're giving them, hopefully, what I feel is a long-term feeding process, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because we don't want to be that consulting firm that goes in, does it, and goodbye, right? For us, it's important that our work becomes sticky, that generations carry the baton, because that's the only way we're going to really realize some of these changes is when you really take it into your culture, in many cases, the organization's culture, to really make these these really insane changes. That and, And by the way, hard to make. So that's why the platform helps with the engineering part that where people get stuck, which is like, what do I do next? We right. unstuck them. But it's important that as we do that, we are firsthand impacting the communities that for whom we're doing all this work for, right? Yeah. Um, and that's really the most important aspect, I feel, of Smart Rise is that we close our own missionary group um, and goals through the work and the giving, obviously, that we provide. No, that's great. And I, I will close with that. You know, Vanessa, thank you so much for being here with me today. Uh, for those that uh, want to get to know you, um, know more about Smart Rise Health, uh, where can they reach out? Where can they find you? They can visit our website, www.smartrisehealth.com. You're going to find a plethora of blogs and podcasts and educational material on health equity, among other topics. So feel free to check us out. And of course, there's links and forms 
to connect with myself and other team members as well. So we look forward to hearing from you and, and Corey, special thanks for having us in your program today. Oh, of course. Of course. Um, Again, Vanessa, thank you so much for being here and everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'll holler at you next time.